0: Hey, we're gonna do something to do or... We're gonna do something to their googly eyes. We're gonna come back with something worse. I br- googly brows. Do you have hair we could borrow? <laughs> Are we trimming up your beard or what? <laughs> we're in the book of Daniel. Uh, If you are following us uh, online or if you're here, if you use the Bible app, there's something I just want to point out that we're just trying for this service. So if you go to the Bible app on the home screen, on the bottom right, there's little bars where it says more and there's events. And you can go to these events. And if you want, it's easier to follow along. The chapel will pop right up on the top because you're here and your location's probably turned on because Mark Zuckerberg and Jeff Bezos have been tracking you since you were born. And, uh, and it just has the scripture broken down exactly as we're going to break it down. It has a Bible, uh, a Bible reading plan. It's a seven-day reading plan. If you wanted to join along or do that with others that will apply to this message, there's videos and other stuff that you'll be able to check in there each week. If you can't find it this week, no big deal. Come up to me after service or find one of our Bible app people. Jared uses the Bible app a lot. He can help you out. Anyone that uses it, you hit the More button, hit Events, and you'll see it right there. And this morning's, this morning's message is called Built Different. Now, there's some slang words that I've been trying to learn, as you guys uh, may have heard me butcher them. And I can't, I literally wanted to put up a slide of them, but I can't because our students are awful. Like the words that they come up with are awful. So let me just say a few of these. And if you know what these mean, can you tell me? So, so A-L-A, I don't even know how you say it, Allah. Anyone know what that means? It stands for something great very nice five three x don't tell me if you know what that means but just think about it you got it math major ship because relationship is too long of a word these ones i see all the time i-d-e-k i didn't know what that meant does anyone know what i-d-e-k means i don't even know uh bay because like baby is too long. I don't get it, you guys. Dime. I got that one. I got that one all the way down the altar, baby. Sorry. Pastors have to make those stupid jokes. Uh, Peep, as in who are your peeps? Thought? Oh, no, 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 no. Stop. Stop. Teen people, stop. Nope. Nope. Sorry. Yeah. Nope. uh Uh-huh. Netflix. Nope. Nope. We're not doing that. Netflix. Nope. (laughs) Top means totally and dope. Someone's totally smoking too much dope, as they used to say in my day. Gucci, something is good or cool. It's Gucci, brah. Curve, to reject someone romantically. Curve, does anyone know what these mean? Am I this old? Is our church this middle-aged? You guys, we are old. Corey, I need more house lights. I can't see the expression, if they're bewildered or if they know what we're talking about. Thirsty. Skip? Okay, I'm just gonna look at, okay. Naomi, you're my help right here, are you ready? Nope, I'm not gonna say the rest of them. They all have things, I'm sure, that. You guys were treading in dangerous water. Internet. And here's why I wanted to read this list, because Daniel, as much as we've been Sunday schooled with the book of Daniel, when I say Daniel in the Bible, what's the first story that 99% of people think of? A lion's den. Daniel in the lion's den. Or you think of his three friends, right? Does anyone know the three, three friends' names? Wait, wait, one person. I need one person here. Unless you're Puerto Rican, right? That's Shadrach, Meshach, and a bad amigo. Uh-huh. Uh Uh-huh. Any Puerto Ricans here? Any Puerto Ricans? No? Yeah, yeah. Unless you're black, but I can't do that because I'm not black. It's bad. Nope. I told my wife, I'm going to get in so much trouble this series. Ooh. Here's the reason why we're going through Daniel, because I was praying and God kept putting it in my heart, putting it in my heart. And then when you look at the the book of Daniel, there's some interesting things you need to know. It's not just about a guy in a lion's den. It's not just about three friends that stand in the fire and a fourth guy pops up. The book of Daniel is about the people of God, a, a small group of the people of God, who lived under a government that was trying to take their identities, who lived under a government that was tyrannical. And before those of you in here get your Republican juices flowing today see i need you to understand something that there are things that we've all grown up with if you grew up here in america or really in any modern country where the country steals some of our identity that we should have in god and it puts our hope and trust and faith in a, a national savior rather than a biblical savior so daniel is where we're going to be today hey cory are you going to can you follow along so i can just read from my bible okay I didn't even do this thing because I was so enthralled with the googly eyes, I forgot to start the slides. So we're going to be in Daniel chapter 1. We're going to read a bit and talk a bit, and I need to pray so that the word of the Lord can pierce us so that we don't think that this is a partisan sermon series because God is coming after all of our hearts, all of our hearts. You guys ready? I don't feel like you're ready, but I'll, I'll take it for what it is. Thank you. I'm just going to preach to (laughs) Lissette. Father, Lissette and I are here (laughs) to hear your will. So are other people, Lord. She's fired up today. I'm fired up today because we live in a culture that that looks and mirrors some Babylonian culture. And God, I'm seeking wisdom for this church family, for this community, on how we can live for you with a government that oversteps into our lives, with a government that seeks to control, with a government that seeks to change us, shape us. Lord, help us to be people of your word and not people of this world. Help us to know the difference, God. Help us to see with wise eyes, with wise eyes, with your eyes, Lord, when this world tries to steal our identity away so that we can stand firm. In Jesus' name, all God's kids said, amen. Okay, let's see if I can yeed in here with Corey. I'm in here. Um, I posted this video. There's a video online you can watch, and it's also in the Bible reading plan. If you do that reading plan, you'll watch this video on like day one. And this video will walk you through the book of Daniel to explain the structure. That's for you Bible nerds. All the Bible nerds said, amen. All two of you, Lisette, we're going. Okay, Babylon in modern-day Iraq. Where? That's for the geography nerds. We're going in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah. Nebuchadnezzar. We're just going to call him Nebi for most of this series. Now we'll call him Nebuchadnezzar. King of Babylon. King of where? Babylon. Babylon's important. It becomes the representation of evil. Because as we go through Daniel, you're going to start to see that Daniel starts to talk about the future and things that will happen. And we're going to talk about end times in the midst of these crazy times. Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God. And he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, lowercase g, and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. Then then the king commanded Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility, youths without blemish, of good appearance, and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace and to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans. Now, I need to pause right here. Pause. Nebuchadnezzar besieged Jerusalem, and, and what you may not know if you're not a super history nerd is that he didn't take over and take everyone out. He took all of the, the culture shape shif, the culture shifters, the people who, who shaped the communities. He took the nobility. He took the politicians. And then he said, I want the smartest, best-looking young people. Just snatched them right up. And he said, you're going to be on my court. Among those young people were people we're gonna meet, and some of you are familiar with, but I need you to understand like the age. Uh, some of you are like 13, 14, 15, right? Which ones of you? Actually, the three of you, just stand up. The three of you, yeah, brothers, all three of you. That's the age of the characters we're about to read about. That's the height. I'm not saying that they're good looking or smart or beautiful, <laughs> but that's, that's the, get that in your mind, you're, you're, okay, sit down. I just need you to have it visual because it's not like they're getting people that have the salt and pepper. It's not like they're getting people who are getting the receipt to the cul-de-sac. That's not who they're getting. The people who are coming in to be the next leaders, the next wise men are young, young people. And, and Nebuchadnezzar's smart because he's coming to take over a nation and he knows what he's doing. He, he is, if you look in all of history, one of the greatest kingdom builders in all of history. And he says, I'm not going to take over and just kill everyone. That's too much work. I'm going to take out the nobility. I'm going to take out the cultural uh, shape makers, the people who make culture. And then we're going to teach them. We're going to teach them our ways. And then the king, verse 5, assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king ate and the wine that he drank. They were getting treated like royalty. They were to be educated for three years. Do you think that was free college? Probably. And at the end of that time, they were to stand before the king. Among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah of the tribe of Judah. And the chief of the eunuchs gave them names, new names. Daniel, which means God is my judge. He called Belteshazzar, which means Bel is my God. Hananiah he called Shadrach, Mishael, he called Meshach, and Azariah, he called a amigo. I need you to understand something, and this has been true from the time of Daniel, before Daniel, and it is true in our time today. When you want to take over a culture, when you want to have your kingdom become the primary kingdom, the first thing that you have to do is remove the identity of anyone who would stand in your way. See, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, they had monotheistic identities, God-believing identities. They believed in the God who created the world. They believed in the God who sustained them, who carried them through slavery in Egypt, and now they're being brought into slavery in Babylon. And the first thing they do is said, we're going to teach them, and then we're going to take their identity away from them. Now, I don't know about you, but Wouldn't it be crazy if there was a culture that was trying to confuse all of our young people about their identity? Indoctrination. Now, I know what you all are thinking right now, because I think it too. But wouldn't it be crazy also if a country tried to confuse an entire religious group to think that only one political party could be the correct one? And I know what some of you are thinking right now too. My party is the most biblical one. And I'm here to tell you that it's not. The most biblical political party is the kingdom of God. That's it. It's, it's super easy. And the amazing thing here is that if you, if you can begin to see what Daniel is doing here, it will begin to change how you look at culture. Because this culture right now is at a point. And and the thing about Babylon that's so fascinating, so interesting to me, is that when you look in Revelation, Revelation refers to the new Babylon rising. And if you look throughout history, you see this cycle of an evil empire rising, and then it gets defeated, and then it crushes down. There's a time of peace, and it's a cycle of Babylon rising and Babylon falling, this being the first Babylon. But what they did, and what's happening now, is that culture is seeking to usurp the identities of our children, and if if you don't believe me, there was this wild video. And my wife said, you are not allowed to talk about this. No, my mom said this. She said, you're not allowed to talk about this on Sunday. And I said, Mom, mm mm-mm, I'm a grown man. I didn't say that to her face. Are you kidding me? You out of your mind? I'm I'm alive. I'm here. (laughs) There's a video. and, and, And the people who produced it took it down already. But essentially... It was a choir song of people saying, we're coming for your children. We're coming for your children. We're going to teach them our ways. And it's going to be sneaky. You're not even going to notice it. And then they're going to influence you in the future. And the chorus was over and over. We're coming for your children. We're coming for your children. They're bright colors. People singing great harmonies. And I watched that video about a week and a half ago. And I thought, uh-uh-uh-uh. ah. Uh, because uh, uh. here's the thing, you guys. Here's my plan. And I tell this to pastors around, pastors that are struggling to grow their churches pastors that are saying, how do we, how we need to get more people to our churches? You guys, our churches are dying. And I tell them, here's the way that you grow a church. You lead them to Jesus or you breed them to Jesus. Hey, no one gonna outbreed this church family. I mean, I'm not saying that some of you guys are excellent children makers, but some of you guys went above and beyond the call of duty. Okay. Some of you guys are right, you're in the tier below school bus. That's where you're at. You're like at 15 passenger like one more god put on my heart and you're at a yellow bus that's where we're at at the chapel family and some of you i know you're like well i don't have kids i can't do that or i'm, I'm too old I'm, I'm long in the years hey god gave abraham and sarah a kid when they were long in the tooth you don't know pastor ryan i've had a i'm, a, I'm one of the hyster sisters i had a hysterectomy god's not like up in heaven oh no hysterectomy i can't solve that he made a uterus i sorry. I just want to scare some of you. That's all. It's not really going to happen to you, but I want to scare you because here's the thing. If we teach our kids to stand, if we teach our kids to know what their identity is in, or if we even remind ourselves what our identity is in, because in our age bracket, my age bracket, maybe your age bracket, it is so quick and so easy to identify as something other than a follower of the one true God. Well, what are you? What do you believe in? What are you about? What do you serve? because our, our kids are bombarded with this baseline identity and we're bombarded with it as well. And I'm not here, by the way, to throw stones and say, oh, my way must be the most true, righteous way. I wanna follow what the Bible says. But this idea that there's no attack on identity, it goes all the way to the core of a documentary that I watched this week, where, where parents didn't want to, to give their, their child a gender or a sex. They wanna assign a sex to their child. And in the documentary did said, we, didn't, we don't wanna assign a sex to our child. I said biology assigned a sex to your child biology did that i know that there's differing opinions but i'm letting you know that biologically and in this documentary it was very sad because one of the parents was trying to to nurse the newborn baby but that parent was a biological male and they were trying to nurse and they were upset that they couldn't nurse it and i'm not we're not making fun we're not mocking because We don't know what's going on in their minds. You guys, I have no idea what's going through the mind of someone who's having an identity crisis on that level. See, I've had other identity crises in my life. I've gone through things where I question who I am and what I'm supposed to do, but because mine are socially acceptable, nobody scoffed at me. But it's so easy to scoff at something that seems so foreign to so many of us. I need you to understand that there is a compassion that Christ had for people struggling through identity issues. When Christ met the woman at the well who had five husbands and the man she was with then wasn't even her husband. He didn't look at her and call her some name. He reached in and said, I, I've got something to give you that's, that's going to finally answer some of the things that your heart's been longing for. What this world needs more than our sneers or scoffs is for us to stand in our identity and let other people know that they can step into this God-given identity as well. To know that we can stand. And it's interesting to me because Daniel keeps his name. But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they, they leave behind their Hebrew names for the majority of our stories in book. It's interesting to me. Now, they did some great things. They stand in the fire. We're going to read in, in a few weeks. But it's incredible to me that Daniel just retains it. And, and here's what happens when they said you want the, you're going to get the king's wine, you're going to get the king's drink, you're going to have the good stuff. We're going to give you the education. Eat what the culture eats. Learn what the culture learns. My oldest recently came to me and just said, Daddy, I don't think I'm going to go to college. And I just wiped the sweat off my brow in relief that I had to save money. And I said, what are you going to do? And he said, I'm gonna be a professional video gamer, so I grabbed the sweat and I put it back on my forehead <laughs> in distress. <laughs> and um, the reason why it was relief is because our kids are being educated oftentimes not by us primarily, even here. Like back there, those people, they're supplementals. If you're a parent dropped off a kid, your primary, they're supplementary but our kids are being given. I mean, I can't talk to my kids. If I didn't play the games online that my kids play, if I didn't try to watch the things, like I will sit there and watch kids' YouTube and I'll just watch it. My kids will be to bed. I'm like, I'm just gonna scroll through all the videos they've watched. I wanna see what they're watching. And then all of a sudden I'm like, oh, that's, that's why she's doing this. That's why he's doing that. They're learning and getting an education from someone that's not me. And it's so much easier. You guys, it's easy. And I'm not the super uber Christian parent, by the way. I'm not the person that like limits screen time. I tell my wife, I'm like, we could limit screen time, but their whole life is gonna be on screens. So let's make them the best screen users and give them wisdom to know what's good and what's bad. Thankfully, I've, I've got two Pharisees that I've raised as children. So they hear a bad word and they're like, ooh, this person said the F word. And they tell on each other like that because they're little religious people. They need the gospel. But I'm trying to teach them who their identity is in God, that in God we don't have to brag on ourselves because we're, we're small. God is big. We don't have to try to prove ourselves because God has proven all of our worth that we ever needed on the cross of Christ. He gives us his record, and Daniel knew this. That's why it says in verse 8, Daniel resolved. He resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs, to allow him not to defile himself. And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord, the king, who assigned your food and your drink. For why should he see that you are in worse condition than the youths who are your own age? So you would endanger my head and the king. So Daniel's like, I don't want to eat this good food. I don't want the good stuff. And look what Daniel says. It's so cool to me. Daniel throws out a test. He says, test us. Test your servants. For 10 days, give us vegetables and water. You know, there's a whole book written on this, just that section. It's called the Daniel Plan. It's, it's by Pastor Rick Warren. He got together some of the best doctors in the country, in the world, and he created a whole plan. So as a chapel, for 10 days starting today, we're only eating vegetables and water. Amen? What will your smoker do? Smoke broccoli. See, now, and I'm with you guys. I'm like, (laughs) no, I'm doing it. I'm doing it. Last night I had an extra glass of wine just because I knew I was doing this today. I made sure that the whiskey was gone because I don't want any temptation. Get behind me, Jack devil. Get behind me, crispy pork belly. Get behind me, perfectly medium rare steak. If you like it cooked any other way, you need Jesus. Get behind me, creamy butter piled on a perfectly cooked baked potato with sour cream and chives and a heaping load of bacon. Get behind me. So here's what I'm doing. I'm not asking. I was going to say, let's all do this together, but I'm not going to do that. The reason I'm doing it is because God told me, Ryan, I want you to do this for 10 days, vegetables, water. So I'm not eating meat. I'm not eating butter or dairy stuff. I'm just going to eat fruits, vegetables, and water. That's it. That's the classification. And so I get some like brown rice in there, the things that were under their umbrella of vegetation. Part of it is because I did push my last bulking season a little too long. Okay. The other part is because this is what Daniel did. And I want, I literally, I want to channel my inner Daniel and say, God, why, what would possess a man who had all of this given to him? Just free, free education, free food, free wine. If you ever take me to lunch and you're, or you say, Hey, pastor, do you want to go to lunch? My treat. I am there. Where's it going to be? Newport Ritchie. I'm there. How much does it say free there? That's how you can bait any pastor into a meeting. Just say free and follow it with some food. In 11 days, some of you can take me out for free whiskey. If you love me. Non-alcoholic if you're Baptist. Now it's interesting to me though because there's there's something we miss here. There's something that this ties to. Because the story, I'm not going to read every verse of the whole chapter today, but it's in the notes and it's an app for you. There's a a component that is brought to bear here, where first we have a a nation that says, get all the best looking, smartest, brightest people, and we're going to take them out. We're going to retrain them so that when we go back 10 years later, we're already going to have taken all of their most wise people and converted them to our ways. Not only our education ways, but our names, our gods, and the culture that's around us, the food that we eat. And Daniel stood on God's dietary laws. Now, we do not have to stand under God's dietary laws, but I need you to understand something. God still cares what is in your dietary daily life. And I know, I know this is something that's like, wait a second. Are we going to talk about this in church? Are we going to talk about what we eat? Absolutely. The Bible talks about what we eat more than it talks about most other subjects. What we eat and what we drink, what we put into our body affects our spirituality. The the way that God has created us is not a soul that happens to have a body or a body that happens to have a soul. We are body and soul. And God calls us to steward our body well. Some of us desperately need the reboot of a vegetable and fruit and water 10-day period. Some of us desperately need a reboot of just evaluating, God, have I cared for my body in a way that you call me to, not in a way that the world calls me to? Because this world, it is very easy very easy to neglect this that God gave us. I'm not saying you have to go to the gym. I'm not saying you're you're all supposed to get jacked and look like the rock. But are you even asking the question, Lord, am I stewarding this for you in the way that you've created me? Am I I thinking about what I put into my body? See, we do it in other Christian-y ways, right? So like, for example, if you came here next Sunday and I was out on the patio here, and you're walking up for service, and just get this vision in your head. I'm out there with cowboy boots, Wrangler jeans, cowboy hat, and a Marlboro Red. What are you guys thinking? Oh, <gasps> Right? Craig, you're thinking, why is Pastor Ryan smoking a cigarette? If you know me well enough, you'd be like, well, he's probably doing some sermony thing. You would think that, or any pastor, really. But what if then I just keep on, like, lighting up? Like, what if I had a pack in my back pocket right now? Psych! I'm not gonna give you religious people opportunity to judge me. you do it enough. What I'm saying is, culturally, that has become such a taboo thing. When I grew up, you guys, when some of when us, when if you're my age or older, when we grew up, do you remember they used to sell cigarettes in machines? Like you'd walk into the local restaurant and it just was stained with yellow, like the teeth of the people who smoked them. And you would hit whatever button, and as a little twelve-year-old, they'd be like, ah, Got my pack of smokes for a dollar ten cents. That's just another lesson on inflation for you younger kids. Okay. I don't even know what they cost nowadays, but it's but then we would go out behind the dumpster at school, and we were like the coolest kids, and I look at the The kids the age I was when I started smoking. I was 12 when I started smoking, by the way. At the age of 12, I started smoking, drinking, and chasing girls. And I didn't stop until Jesus smacked me around. And I I still, I chase one girl now, and I drink. That's my primary vices. And I read the Bible. Because of my heroes. And if I had good cigars or was not a poor pastor, I would smoke cigars all the time. Kids don't do it, though. It's a bad habit. You three, good-looking, smart, wise men. Be like Daniel. Say, I'm not going to forget my God, but here's something interesting that Daniel and his friends did. See, there's there's two postures that we tend to take. And, and we see this in Jeremiah. So Jeremiah and Daniel overlap. And you guys know the fame, the very famous verse in Jeremiah, right? The coffee cup verse, for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, to give you hope and to prosper you. Now, Here's what's interesting that we we just forget, that Jeremiah is writing at the same time that Daniel's writing. And in Jeremiah 28, there's a false prophet, Hananiah, who says, I got a message from the Lord. God's going to crush Babylon. Babylon came in. They stole our young kids. They stole our smart people. But don't worry, Hananiah says, God's coming in to crush them. He's coming in to take over. His foot is on their neck. And then Jeremiah writes a response in the very next chapter in Jeremiah 29. And Jeremiah says, do not listen to this fool. Now, it would be nice if all of our desires were manifested as God's desires, wouldn't it? Maybe not. But if we think, you know what we need? We need God to change our po- politicians. You guys, it's too late. They're too far gone. Right? When you make seventy-some thousand dollars a year and your net worth goes up by millions every year, it's over. It's over. And we could gripe about it and be like, "Ah, me, oh, my. Look, it's over. It's done. But what we can do is do what Jeremiah said. Jeremiah said, do not listen to Hananiah. Don't become what is so tempting for us to do. Become separatists, to withdraw from the cities, which is exactly what the church did. In the 40s, 50s, and 60s, the church that was prominent in the urban areas, we ran to the burbs to get our kids safe. We ran to the burbs because the schools have the highest ratings. We ran to the burbs so that we could let our kids play until dusk. And we created little pockets, but we left the city. We left business, we left the arts, we left law, we left music, we left left media, we left it all there, and the Christians went out. And Jeremiah says to do the exact opposite. He doesn't say withdraw. He says to do exactly what Daniel does. Jeremiah said, stay in the city. Have kids, but know how many of you there are get jobs, make gardens, create beautiful things in the city. Be a part of the community, but don't stand as an identical member of those in your community. You can be within the world walking here, but living for God 100%. It's not easy, but that's what God's call is for you and for I for me to do now. It's not to just acquiesce and say, "I'm either going to separate from those evil bad people or I will become like them." No, God says something very different entirely. He says, "I don't want you to separate from them." or do I want you to become them? You will stand for me, but live among them with grace, live among them with peace. And Jeremiah says something very stark. He says, as the city goes, so your welfare will go. And that is true for us as it is for Daniel in this time. As Tampa goes, so our welfare will go. So we should want to pick up litter. We should want to do good things. Silas, my son, yesterday committed his first crime. Found a lava rock. We we're on our uh, night walk that we do, and sometimes he comes with me. My other kids don't care to come with me, and I found this lava rock. And he goes, "Daddy, I'll bet you I can break it." And I, I've had lava rocks my whole life, and I'm like, "You can't break it. I guarantee it." He goes, "Feel how light it is, Daddy." And I was like, "Uh huh. You're not gonna break it." So I'm like, "Go ahead. Go try. Go ahead and try to break it." He takes this lava rock with all of his might. Where we're in the middle of the street, he chucks it at the ground. Boom! The lava rock begins to bounce, and it's bouncing wildly. And then from the corner of my eye, I see that it's bouncing toward a police car. Bam, bam, whack, Silas looks at the car, looks at his dad, and I said, pick up the rock and run. (laughs) It just nicked the bumper. There was no damage, okay? I wanted to scare him. No, no, it was in the driveway. It's a neighbor cop who I need to meet, you know, just to say, my kid did this. Bring justice down upon him. (laughs) And uh, it didn't nick it. I went and looked. I was like, okay, it's okay. But I did say, get the rock and run. He's like, so he's scared. He's like, (laughs) we get around the corner. He's like, am I safe? Daddy, is that a jailable offense? (laughs) And then he's looking around. I see him looking around. I'm like, what is he doing? What's, What's he doing? And then he sees a. A little strap that was like on some uh, like Amazon type box or something, and he picks it up, and he goes, "You breathe out, Daddy. I picked up litter, so that cancels out my crime, right?" (laughs) I was like, "You try that. You try that when you do a real crime, and you let me know." (laughs) You see, it's uh, what's interesting is that there was two things happening here. His religiousness was thinking that he could cancel out something. When you we can't, we can't cancel it out. When you fail, you can't be like, ah, you better cancel it out with something good. That's not how God's economy works. What God's economy is, is that he empowers you and I to live within a world that is going to be radically different from us in a way where we can still hug people and still have conversations with people in a way where we can still be a part of the culture. We don't run from the culture. We create things. We create YouTube videos. We have pro gamers who love Jesus and don't cuss so, my, so that your kids and my kids' kids will have someone to watch. Because half the time as my kids are watching something, I'll put in an earphone and I'll listen. I'm like, oh, no. I don't understand any of the words they're using. (laughs) It means that we can be in a culture that is vastly against us but standing for God unwavering. Unwavering. Now what happened with Daniel, what happened with Daniel is that at the end of 10 days in verse 15, it was seen that they were better in appearance fatter in the flesh than all the youths who ate the king's foods. So the steward took away all the other kids' food, and they gave, made them go on the Daniel plan. As for these youths, verse 17, God gave them learning and skill in all literature, and wisdom And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. What would you see, what would you think if you saw someone at Park Square with a little pop-up table that said free dream and vision interpretation? Would you think, that must be a Christian. First thought? No. What's your first thought? Wacko. Somebody stumbled into the mushroom cow pie field today. What do you mean dreaming? Or a palm reader or a tarot card. This is literally a God-given gift. God says, I, you did the right thing, Daniel. You stood up for me. I'm going to increase your wisdom. I'm going to increase your learning. I'm going to give you skill and literature and wisdom, and I'm going to give you the understanding of people's dreams. At the end of the time, when the king had commanded that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them before Nebuchadnezzar, and the king spoke with them. Among all of them, none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah therefore they stood before the king. They were in the highest political office. You know what we need, honestly and truly, in politics? Someone who loves Jesus unashamedly. And I know what some of us think, like how could that person, how could a Christian who loves Christ with all of their being and and pursues him and repents often and leans on Christ and trusts Christ, how could they even get into politics since the entry fee is built on a mountain of lies? I don't know, but God could do it God could put someone in there because that's what they are. They are essentially leading political advisors. And God raised them up, and they did not waver on who God had called them to be. Now, if you don't know who God or what God has called you to be, then you've got to get discipled by somebody. You've got to get in a relationship with somebody to go through God's word. Because it's not just about, do you believe the basics anymore? It's about being able to see, what is culture teaching me? It's about being able to watch a television show and say, they're trying to teach my kids something that goes directly against God's principles. It's about being able to hear a song and know, man, this song is taking my mind away from my marriage, or this movie is taking my mind away from being a good father or a good mother. It's about being able to identify the thousands of sermons that are being preached at you, but not running off to get on your own, but saying, I can stand in the midst of this and I'm gonna create true goodness and true beauty. It's gonna show this world the hardwired nature of how God created all things to be. And as God does that in you, as God gives you his heart for the city around you, so you and I will prosper. We need you lawyers to go back to the city. We need you artistic people to create beautiful art for Jesus. We need you musicians to create music for Jesus. We need you, and I'm not talking about the corny stuff. create amazing creative God-centered things we need you business people to start businesses that push back the darkness in this world businesses that are fair and full of integrity and you'll see an amazing thing will happen as God's people don't separate and don't assimilate but we stand in the midst of and serve as Christ did then you'll begin to see God will lift us up and God will give us new wisdom new learning, new understanding. And let's not put God in the box, that he only does things through a linear path. Some of you, God is calling you to new great things. Every time I hear someone say something about them <clears throat> moving or, or starting a new job, it always piques my curiosity. I had, I had someone tell me this morning, uh, in jest, I hope, yeah, I, I, think we're, I think I am a mountain person. I think I'm a mountain person, Pastor Ryan. I said, no, say it ain't so, because the last people that told me they were mountain people, they abandoned me and broke my heart. And then they came back because they missed me so much. That's not true. But I think, man, are we going where God calls us, stepping into what God's calling us to step into? Are we making sure that we are not separationists or assimilationists, that we are going to stand in the midst of this culture and stand for truth? That is what God is calling you and I to do as we journey through Daniel. So prepare yourselves, because we are going to talk about some uncomfortable topics when it comes to them. We are going to talk about the idols that we bound down to. We are going to talk about the identities that have tried to be put upon us. And not just the the sexual identity confusion that's happening, the political identity, because that's primarily what was going on here was the political identity before anything. You're no longer an Israelite. You're a Babylonian. And I'm here to tell you that if you identify primarily as an American, that's unbiblical. You're a citizen of the kingdom of God. The Bible says you're aliens here aliens we are legal aliens and we have a little citizenship card if you were born here or if you passed the test that most citizens couldn't pass <laughs> but we are aliens here we're, we're passing through and our kingdom is one that gives us a different type of power a different type of feel and it gives us a different type of taste for a good and loving and powerful god who reigns over all governments let us pray